0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from The Apple. We have a very special guest with us today. Mets beat writer at The Athletic, co-host of the Metrospective podcast with Ted Berg, which is outstanding, by the way. Our uh, friend of the pod, Tim Britton. Welcome back to the show, man.
1: Anytime. Thanks for having me, Tim.
0: How's uh, how's camp life? Camps are open, albeit under the cover of, uh, of COVID clouds. Strange times continue, huh?
1: It's, you know, it's different for me that like I'm not down in Port St. Lucie, so this is the, the first time in 11 years as a, a beat writer that I I'm, I am haven't been down to spring training yet. I, you know, I don't plan on going down at this point. Uh, things might change, but uh, it is definitely, you know, it, it's obviously different for everyone down there. It's different not being down there uh, and just trying to, you know, do your, your spring training work where every reporter is working more uh, individually than maybe they do during the season when, you know, the storylines are a little bit more shared uh, that, uh, to try to do your own thing during spring training while in a bunch of zoom scrums is, uh, is different and, uh, and a little bit more challenging, uh, than the usual spring training.
0: Yeah. Just, uh, you know, strange wrinkles at every turn, it seems like. And I guess even, even for someone in your case where you're not there for the first time and, you know, a decade plus it's gotta be, uh, just, you know, waiting for things to go back to normal, but at the same time, it's kind of just rolling with the punches. Right.
1: Yeah, and less fast food for me this so far. <laughs> Usually, you know, that's the you you try you work hard in the off season to like you know cook for yourself and, and and eat well, and then you get down to Florida and it's like you're on a three hour drive, and the Wendy's is right there, man. So <laughs> it's, it's probably better for my physical condition, uh, in in so much as anything is is better.
0: Sure. Um, now, do do you feel like there's a, I guess, a disconnect between you know getting the same level of coverage for as far as being away as compared to being you know literally in the mix
1: you know there's definitely scenes you miss uh not being there you know i, I was reading the other day stories by uh, i think tim healy at newsday and mike puma at the post about the outdoor team meeting that luis rojas had held that morning and that how he had switched from zoom to outdoor meetings that's something you know i didn't I couldn't see. Uh, you know, I've, I've been able, obviously, to watch the broadcasts. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's always nice to see those those workouts before the first game where you see like the first bullpen sessions of guys first day of live batting practice is probably my favorite day of spring training in a normal year. Sure. You do get tired of those things uh, relatively quickly. Like you watch pitcher fielding practice in the first five minutes. You're like, this drill looks kind of fun. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, Oh, they just keep doing this over <laughs> and over. Uh, it <laughs> looks, it looks terrible. Uh, so I, I think, you know, it, it's definitely adapting to um a different uh, level of awareness of everything that's going on there. I I think I'm fortunate uh, like I don't have to write every day at the level of granular detail that a lot of other beat writers do. Uh, And so I'm, you know, I don't have to uh, be on top of all of those things to quite the same extent uh, as I would, if I were writing uh, daily for a newspaper, for instance. So it's, uh, it works to my benefit in that regard, but, it, you know, you, you don't feel quite the level uh, of awareness that you would if you are there every day the way some other people are.
0: No, it's got to take some some getting used to. But, uh, but on the field, hopes are high, um, I guess, par for the course this time of year, especially after Steve Cohen's purchase of the team, um, you know, up and down the roster and even, you know, off the 26 into the 40, um, these hopes are pretty much justified, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I remember going into last season, uh, last season in spring training, thinking that was the most talent, most talented team the Mets had brought to a spring training since probably 2009 or so. And this year there's an additional level of talent, not just because of who they brought in in Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco uh, as kind of the main pieces that they have brought in and James McCann, uh, but also because of the internal improvement they had last year, uh, just that Michael Conforto made that step that, that everyone was waiting for him to make, that uh, Dominic Smith made a, a step beyond what I think anyone was expecting out of him uh, in 2020. And those guys look like not just, you know, nice complementary pieces in your lineup, but kind of more like foundational pieces uh, in the lineup you got another good solid offensive season out of Brandon Nimmo out of Jeff McNeil that, that they kind of seem like they are what they are at this point and what they are is very good uh, so that that lineup probably underperformed in terms of actual run scoring last year the actual production because of the issues with runners and scoring position because of some base running uh woes but uh in terms of sheer talent uh like that that lineup Last year was as good as any in, in the major leagues and this year looks to be better on paper. Uh so I, I do think this is probably, you know, if you are a Mets fan and, and you are not excited about the on field product that the team has uh in spring training of twenty twenty one, I I don't know what it would be to get you excited.
0: Right. No, and then you know, there's always those I guess uh pockets of the fan base who are, you know, just never quite uh, you know, happy about things. But You know, on on pretty much across the board, general consensus is this has been a terrific offseason. And, um, you know, heading into camp with the with the depth that's been assembled, um, I guess you mentioned in an article, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago, um, aptly named five things that matter. (laughs) You mentioned playing time matters. Um, Luis Guillorme, over the first four games, he's played third base, second base, shortstop. He's performed well. Um, This has to bode well for his I guess, chances at the 26th spot or, or what have you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think you are may like, I, I don't worry too much about him not making the, the opening day roster. I think the, the way he played uh, last season, the way he's played for a couple of seasons, like, you know, there, I think there, you know, what he is as a utility player. Uh, I think, there are some people, and Luis certainly among them, uh, who would like to be more than just a utility player, uh, and I, like he can play his way into that. I don't think he can do that in spring training, uh, but I think over the course of of the regular season, if he if he hits the way he did last year, uh, we know what he can do defensively with the glove uh, and the advantage he has there over someone like J.D. Davis at third base. Uh, that if he produces offensively, uh, then then he might be able to work his way into more everyday playing time. But you know the way we've seen him uh, in. With guys like Kevin Pilar and Jonathan VR um, and Tomas Nito, like I, I think I feel like those four guys, uh, you feel pretty confident are going to be part of the opening day bench, uh, barring injury. I think it's really a matter of do they take someone like Jose Martinez uh, as a fifth bench guy? Do they want an extra pitcher? I think those are probably the conversations they start to have, you know, two weeks from now as you get into the, the home stretch of spring training.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it kind of comes down. To, to the little things. I mean, I, of course, the more Guillaume shows that he can handle pretty much any role the team throws at him and, you know, you can't put too much into spring training, but even in the past, he's shown he can, he can <laughs> really kind of fit that bill. Um, your article Friday morning with regards to base running and defense, another really excellent read, um, it kind of fits into that whole narrative. Like these little things might set apart I guess set guys apart when it comes to making those final decisions or even on a, on a game to game basis. Also bonus points for dropping Todd Hunley's outfield escapades in there. That was terrific. <laughs> um, you look at guys like VR, uh, Malik Smith, who's another really fringe contender who's looked okay. His defense is always nice. Um, Kevin Pillar, they all fit that kind of defense base running improvement. The Mets were looking for uh, like to a T. Uh, all three are among the top 10 in major leagues uh, in fan BSR, which is their base running metric since 2018. Uh, all three are viable to valuable fielders. Uh, of course, all, all good things. You know, we've seen Brandon Nimmo um, make outs on the base pass this spring. The Mets have expressed confidence in, in Brandon Nimmo. And, you know, we've, we heard a lot about that this week and, and he's looking for the opportunity or looking forward to the opportunity, I should say, but, you know, could these little things shake out to a shift in time sharing with regards to center field or even around the infield with VR's, in VR's case?
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting question to think about because, you know, in a vacuum, like you would say that uh, Kevin Pillar's base running ability does not make him better than Brandon Nimmo on a daily basis uh, because of just Nimmo's advantage uh, offensively as a a guy who gets on base at, at really a 400 clip over the last several years. Uh, but you 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 can make a case like given the composition of the team around, uh, you know, I, I don't think that that probably impacts center field as much. I think Nimmo's got too big of an advantage. But, uh, you know, when we talk about Davis and Guillaume, you might say at some point, like, you know what? The offense is good enough. The offense with the rest of the group is good enough that we can make the uh, offensive sacrifice of moving from J.D. Davis to Luis Guillaume to shore up what is a weakness in our infield defense for instance or you start doing that on more of a more of a regular basis because okay you've got a ground ball pitcher marcus stroman pitching say want to strengthen the infield defense today we're confident in the other seven guys in our lineup that we can take a small step back with this offensive production uh so i i wonder if that plays into it just when you look at the entire roster what's the best complement to the rest of the group in in a in a lineup in a given day uh, you know, I wrote the story basically about, you know, defense holding runners, base running. That's what Luis Rojas has, has talked a lot about from the day pitchers and catchers reported. Uh, and it was um, interesting to me that it was like laid out that way. It was one, two, three, um, those three things, those three bullet points. Uh, you don't usually hear a manager uh, say it quite as explicitly as Rojas did, uh, because those are things that the personnel changes should improve to an extent clearly having Francisco Lindor as your everyday shortstop is going to make your defense better uh than than it has been at that position over the last several years but there are some areas where they still need internal improvement and that's especially like the outfield defense uh that I talked about in that story uh and then in base running where you know Lindor is replacing like the only two guys on the Mets who were faster than him in Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez so uh, those are things that that aren't necessarily just going to automatically be better because of the changes you made. Uh, and so i'm I'm interested in seeing, You know, every team emphasizes that in spring training. Every team says you want to be aggressive on the base pass. Every team says we're working hard on holding runners. Uh, Teams that that don't have huge issues with those things, the way the Mets did in 2020, the way the Mets have for several years, uh, say those things in spring training. I remember covering John Lester when he was like, I'm really working on my pickoff move this year. And then he never threw to first base that season. Uh, (laughs) So this is when you want to see, like, what does that work actually entail beyond saying I want to work on it? Uh, and then how can we carry it over into the season? You know, the, the Mets with base running in particular, uh, it's nice to say you want to be aggressive. You don't have a particular amount of team speed to be aggressive. So how are you going to balance, you know, your aggressiveness often looks like recklessness the way it did throughout much of last season and the way it has, for instance, with Nimmo at the start of spring training with a couple of outs on the bases. So it's it's towing that line and and making, you know, making it more than just a point of emphasis, but doing something behind it to to actually improve players.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's kind of curious to see, I guess, you know, among the position players among the, I guess the points of, of emphasis this spring, um, they're very specific, you know, just focal
2: points. You know, we have to improve here. We have to improve here. You turn in. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro, FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel because right now you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Look into like the bullpen and, you know, you're just looking for guys to kind of produce to their career averages, to their potential, however you want to look at it the Mets got encouraging news on Seth Lugo on Thursday that he's I I guess you could say on track there's really no I guess set timetable for his return but um you know other guys are going to have to step up uh Stephen Tarpley left-hander he's I think I believe he was the first to get a second turn among the pitching staff on Friday um you know most likely a taxi squad type guy but with Lugo out and Batances and Familia as you know remaining as question marks you really can't I guess (laughs) put too much uh confidence in them until they really show it but um guys like tarpley even gazellman who looked okay on friday you know there's going to be opportunities for them to kind of fill up those gaps right
1: yeah i mean they've got i I think you're assuming at least an eight-man bullpen out of spring training uh and and maybe even nine uh because you can carry as many pitchers as you want and we saw you know Maybe they go fourteen-man pitching staff, uh, so that creates opportunities at the you know the back end, uh, the bottom end of that bullpen back end. You know is, is covered with Diaz and, and those guys. Uh, so you know in the past we've seen the, the Mets that core of relievers was like the entire group that they traded for in 2017. Uh, you know uh, the Jacob Rames um, and that group of relievers that just didn't pan out necessarily mm-hmm. uh that we saw them kind of give up on by the end of last season a bunch of those guys are elsewhere now drew smith is really the only one that's left and probably the one that that has performed the best at the major league level to this point and is a guy who, who you know could break camp with the team uh as one of those relief options and they've got guys who have options to go back and forth between the majors and minors you know gazellman for instance has that that capability uh, so that that makes him a bit more valuable in his flexibility The the bullpen is so hard to predict in spring training because you can be like if you told me that Jacob Barnes is not in the Mets organization on April 15th. And if you told me that Jacob Barnes is throwing the eighth inning of a tie game on April 15th, both of those seem possible. (laughs) Uh, So that is just, you know, we've all seen major league teams where guys jumped with roles right out of spring training uh, and, and carried them for months at a time. You know, what was it with Jim Henderson with the Mets? Like where was he coming into that spring training? And he was like one of the key reliever for a long stretch of that season. I don't even remember what year that was. Uh, You know, Pedro Beato when he was a rule five pick became uh, a more trustworthy reliever pretty quickly. Paul Sewell, did that at times in 2017 and 2018 you know early 2018 i don't think he gave up a run in april uh and he started pitching important seventh and eighth innings for you uh pretty early that season so the, the roles are really malleable in the bullpen. Uh, it changes over time. You know, I think Diaz is, is going to be the closer and we'll see how creative Rojas uses him. He said he wants to be creative. That's another thing managers say a lot in spring. And then it gets <laughs> difficult to actually implement once the season starts. Uh, you have Trevor May is probably your chief setup man with Lugo out. Uh, and then you've got opportunity, not just for, for the, the, guys to make the opening day roster but for someone to claim like that regular seventh inning role, whether that is given to Patances or Familia at the start of the season. And then you try to work through and see if, if Miguel Castro steps up, if Kazelman steps up, if Drew Smith looks good, like there's going to be, like you said, that opportunity, not just to be on the roster, but to, to pitch some pretty important innings pretty early in the year.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's, I guess Castro is a guy I'm really thinking of that. Um, he reminds you so much of Diaz he's got so much of that lateral movement on his pitches that it feels like once he harnesses that, um, it could be a real weapon. And I know that that's what they're trying to get out of Familia right now. And he's a veteran and, you know, it's, it's almost like a Testament to the, you know, just the same old foundation, like, Hey, you gotta, you know, use your pitch movement to your advantage. And for a guy like Castro, who doesn't have a, a whole ton of major league experience or when he does, it hasn't been so consistent, but he has that potential. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, I guess like we're both saying, it gives everyone the opportunity to kind of jump in. And by the way, Jim Henderson was 2016. It's all a blur, but I had to look it up. It's there. It's 2016. I I would have,
1: man, I would have said 14. That seemed longer ago. That that did not (laughs) seem like a team that... that I didn't think that was a team that he, that was happening on a team that made the playoffs.
0: So. <laughs> oh, made the playoffs. I, I still, I, I still, I don't want to get a two off, off tangent here, but I, the, the whole idea of the one game wild card play in, it still bothers me. And that's not just because the Mets lose, but after 162 for it to come down to one, Oh, it just feels wrong.
1: Yeah. I've, I've hated that since they brought it in. I, I think it should be <laughs> at least, at least a little two game thing where the team that was behind in the standings has to win twice. Because you feel, you know, obviously as a Mets fan, you feel it for 2016. Like you have to, it's a one game playoff and you've got to go against Madison Bumgarner. But uh, I always feel bad for the Pirates fans because they had, you know, you had Bumgarner in 2014. You had Jake Arrieta in the midst of like that ridiculous run in 2015. Uh, it doesn't matter how good your team is if that's the guy you're going up against. Like the 72 Phillies who who lost a hundred games are not the team you want to see in a one game playoff. Cause they got Steve Carlton there, you know? Right. Uh, so that's what I, I don't like about it. I'm, I'm totally with you there.
0: Oh, that's a good example. <laughs> hundred lost team, but you still got to face like a, you know, like you said, a Steve Carlton or a, who knows a, a Roy Halladay during the, you know, the blue Jays down years, whatever you want to put on it. That's a, that's a good one. I like that. Um, all right. This week, I guess we both spoke a little bit about it. Um, I guess about the, I guess you can call it hypocrisy. Um, the Mets, you know, doing a great thing, attempting to improve their organizational hiring practices in the wake of the harassment, excuse me, harassment accusations against uh, Jared Porter, Mickey Calloway, um, hitting instructor Ryan Ellis, and even just reading that off my list, that's a lot of Mets. But <laughs> And at the same time, openly pursuing a, a Trevor Bauer who, you know, of course, it's another form of harassment altogether, but he has his own issues in that department. I guess I found it a bit counterproductive, contradicting, what have you. The progress is good, but what message does this send to concerned parties?
1: Yeah, I, I think, it, well, it's important to distinguish between the magnitude of what uh, Jared Porter did, Mickey Calloway, Ryan Ellis, and what Trevor Bauer engages in on social media. It's, it's, a, it's a different level. Of course, but, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, I think it was Alison McCaig uh, who wrote this uh, at um, Amazing Avenue. The, the idea of the way things, uh, as a fan, you know, your, your fandom doesn't just disappear, it doesn't vanish. Uh, it gets eroded by certain things. Uh, and you can imagine, um, especially as a female fan, but I, I know there are a lot of, of male fans who feel the same way about this over the last two months, uh, just the way these things make you care a little bit less about the New York Mets make you want to root for the New York Mets a little bit less, and that uh, if you had, you know, if they had succeeded in signing Trevor Bauer, that was another thing that was going to make you root for them a little bit less, uh, maybe a lot of it less in some instances. Um, and so, you know, I, I think uh, I think Sandy Alderson said a lot of the right things uh, back in January, the day they fired Jared Porter. You know, he talked. Uh, he, he, there was this. Um, look of introspection when he was on a Zoom call, you know, in, in so much as you can tell on a Zoom, uh, mm-hmm. he talked about the importance of integrity and moral courage. Uh, and so that's why it was disappointing to me to see the organization uh, turn around uh, and pursue Bauer as aggressively as they did. Um, you know, it, it's not just that this was a guy they were willing to bring in on kind of a, a conditional basis. This was a guy they offered the highest salary in the history of the sport for a single season to. Uh, and, you know, I don't think that was, you know, I think Alderson was right on Monday when he said, we weren't naive that this guy was going to change because he's 30 years old and, and he was just rewarded with the highest salary uh, for a single season in the history of the sport. So there's really little incentive for him to change. Uh, but that just indicates how, how okay the mets were with how he'd behaved in the past uh, and how he was likely to continue to behave uh, in a way that would turn off, you know, Alderson talks about baseball as an entertainment business uh, as an entertainment product. And this was a way that was going to turn off consumers of your specific team's entertainment. Uh, so I thought just, you know, it, it, you could make the business entertainment argument that bringing Trevor Bauer was not wise. Uh, and I, I think, you know, when you think about what fandom is, it's, you don't want to have to root for people like that. Or there are plenty of people who do root for your team who don't want to root for people like that. Uh, And uh, that's kind of like the worst position to be in as a fan. I remember I'm a New York Giants fan and going the last Giants game I went to, uh, I think this was 2016. uh, They beat the Saints in week two and Josh Brown was the hero. He was the guy who kicked the game winning field goal. And this was while, uh, you know, Josh Brown had been, Uh, credibly accused of domestic violence and the Giants stood by him. Uh, And like, I didn't feel good after that game. I didn't, you know, the the whole last drive, I'm like, this is setting up for Josh Brown to kick the winning field goal. And I was (laughs) mad about it. Um, And I think there are, I don't think I'm unique in feeling that way about certain players. Uh, I think there's a a large section of the fan base that feels that way. And so, you know, I, I think that that pursuit of Bauer disappointed me. And then on Monday when Alderson talked more in depth about those things. Um, I, I don't think, uh, like I, you know, I wrote about it, and I don't want to come off as as ripping what they're doing so far. I just don't think it's enough. You know, when when Alderson talks about the vetting process and says we're talking to women now, I worry that they're setting it up so that the next time something like this happens, you can say, well, we talked to women. You know, what else could we have done? There is more you can do. Uh, we know there's more you can do right now, and I want to hear them lay that out uh, more specifically. Uh, and and to think, you know, to uh, show a little bit more of that introspection that I felt we saw in January, that I didn't think we saw as much this past week.
0: Yeah, and, it, and it's it's not like Alderson was was callous or or you know, or you know, blatant or not this week. It, it, you know, it seems like you know there was a a distinct conflict between doing what would be perceived as the right thing and doing what's perceived as the best thing for the team on the field. And sure, there's a lot of merit to that discussion. And I wouldn't want to have been at that table or in that boardroom having to discuss those, those merits that had to be a tough decision, but, you know, clearly they went the decision they went, um, you know, from a fan standpoint, sure. It's, it's disappointing. It's the same disappointing feeling that, you know, when the Mets brought back Jose Reyes, of course, not on the same level, but, um, you know, knowing that these are the facts and kind of doing it anyway, it's just uh, it's it's a punch in the gut to certain factions of the fan base. And, and and I just, you know, personally, I don't feel that that should be ignored. And to an extent, you can tell that it wasn't because Sandy felt the need to kind of explain the situation. But you know, it, in the same regards, it's it, it it's it's contradicting. And uh, again, it shouldn't discredit the steps they've taken to to make. The New York Mets, a safer place for people to work or or, or what have you, even on a broader sense, Major League Baseball finally bringing this into the spotlight. By the way, Christina Montana, I got to pay the bills real quick. Christina Montana from the Apple wrote a terrific article on women in baseball, women in sports in general, Friday morning at the Apple. Everybody check that out. It's just terrific. It's 1500 words of absolutely heartfelt, great stuff. Anyway, back to what we're saying. It makes certain factions of the fan base feel unheard and and that's really not what being a fan is about and um yeah just you know progress i think we could all look and say what we need here is, is progress and from what we saw in january steps are being taken and even what we've seen recently and sandy's other comments on uh, uh this week regarding um the hiring practices like that's those are all really really good things but um yeah, personally, I wouldn't have if it was my money, I wouldn't have been throwing it at Trevor Bauer. But that's another discussion for another day. Uh, Tim, what do you got cooking on your end through the uh, through the end of camp? Kind of just taking it in and, and analyzing.
1: Yeah, you know, I've got some some more story ideas that, uh, you know, I actually, you know, we're recording this on Friday, the off day. I've got to sit down and kind of recalibrate now. I've, I've written kind of the early spring training stories and now it's a, a matter of figuring out what to cover the rest of the way, what what bigger stories I want to try to tell and, you know, staying on top of obviously the, the day-to-day operations down there uh, and and figuring out what what matters and what doesn't. The, the eternal spring training struggle is, is figuring out what matters and what doesn't uh, at this point in the year. So that'll be uh i will spend some time today and, and over the weekend trying to figure that out and maybe trying to, to figure out how to watch Jacob deGrom pitch on Saturday night. Not sure if I'm going to be able to, to do that, but we'll
0: see. <laughs> Got to wait for Google Maps to go live. <laughs> um, and uh, just, I guess, personal call. Do you think one or both uh, Francisco Lindor or Michael Conforto are locked up before opening day? I know it's uh, a big question. I don't want you to take too big of a leap, but do you I think will, signs I, are pointing that way?
1: If you let me extend the time frame just a little, cause I don't think it necessarily has to be done opening day. I think we see a lot of these get announced the first like t- 10 days or two weeks of the season. So mm-hmm. if you extend it out to like April 15th or so tax day uh, I would, I would, ex- I would be surprised if they didn't well, surprise. I would, I would say that it's better than 50, 50 chance that Lindor is extended by that point. Um, I think it's probably a little bit less than 50, 50 that Conforto is, uh, but I don't think it's zero. Uh, I don't think it's zero that they extend both. Um, so I, I, I would give you decent odds on a Lindor extension happening between, you know, in the next 40 days or so, probably not much sooner than 40 days. Like it, it, it's not going to happen this week. It's probably not going to happen in the next two weeks. It's, it's going to be right around opening day if, if and when it does happen. But I, I, I think there's a legitimate shot of that happening.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair to assume, and and you know, Mets fans are just kind of clamoring for it at this point. You know, it's it's a big step forward, you know, to to say the least.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you make that trade uh, to in order to to have that guy long term. I know there's a lot of good shortstops who are going to be available this offseason, uh, mm-hmm. but if if you preferred any of them uh, over Lindor, you would not have traded for Lindor. So I think uh, you you made that trade with the with the idea in mind that you were going to sign Francisco Lindor for the next decade to be your shortstop. So that, that's kind of what I think will eventually happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to assume. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that we hit all our bases, man. Tim, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been really fun.
1: Oh, anytime. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, man. Everybody check out Tim over at the athletic on Twitter. You subscribe to the athletic, by the way, it's the best money you'll ever spend. Um, and, uh, and yeah, But, you know, we'll be back on Monday with a brand new episode. Tell you what happened with Jacob DeGrom. All right, everybody. Let's go, Mets. We'll see you next time.